Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Amen. If we can return to our seats, remain standing for the reading of the Word of the Lord. I want to turn to the book, the book of Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Acts chapter 12, reading with verse 1. It is good to be in the house of God. Amen. It's electrifying here tonight. Look at your neighbor and say, did you bring your dancing shoes? I feel victory tonight. I feel a shout tonight. I heard this morning I'm not going to lose my dream. And I've got a feeling everything's going to be all right. How many feel that? I've got a feeling. Everything's going to be all right. Praise God. Praise God. Acts chapter 12 verse 1 says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. It says, then were the days of unleavened bread. When he had apprehended him, that meant put him in jail. He put him in prison, delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him. You know, you know what? You're, you're threatened by a preacher when you not only throw him in jail, but you shock with his hand, you shock with his feet, and you put four soldiers around him to hold him. I'm going to tell you, the devil would love to take some of you tonight and imprison you, bind you, and secure you on so many levels because he's concerned about you. You're threatened to go to that extreme to lock him up. He's, 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 he's just... He's challenged with the church. Herod in this is a real story, but I believe the devil is threatened by the church. He's afraid what the church will do if the church ever gets out and does what it's supposed to do. And he said, it says in verse five, Peter therefore was kept in prison. He was kept in prison, but the next is what I like to preach about. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. He was put in prison, but prayer was made by the church. I'm gonna preach to you from this portion of scripture tonight, the power of a praying church. The power of a praying church. There's power in a praying church. Somebody say amen. God blesses you are seated tonight. May I remind you this evening that altars have always been important to God. Altars, everybody say altars. You can go through scripture and pretty much everything you'll find out is every good thing that ever happened was either at an altar or from an altar. When Cain and Abel were obeying the commandments, 
They both built altars. One was obedient to God and the other was casual to man. God received. God received one sacrifice, but how many know he denied Cain's? Abel did his his faith and, and Cain did his in doubt. I want to say tonight, all of us need an altar. Not just not just an altar, but you, we, we need an altar in our life that pleases God. I'm not talking about a piece of furniture. And I've had people over the years when I was talking about building an altar at the house that they thought I physically meant get some wood together and build an altar. And uh, I should have been more clear when I was preaching. Uh, when I was growing up, my dad, when he planted churches, he would always build an altar and set it from the pulpits in those buildings. Always would build an altar. Some of the altars he built, he would carry from church plant to church plant. I remember those altars. But today, I'm not just talking about a piece of furniture. I'm talking about what the altar represents. Because you can have an altar in your life and it be wrong. Can I say today that altars have always represented a place of dying. Altars have always represented a place of sacrifice. In reality, the altar is a place of slaughter. Altars are messy. Altars are gory. Altars aren't fun, but altars are necessary. Altars. Can I just remind you that Calvary was a slaughter. Calvary was bloody and Calvary represented the sacrifice of the lamb that now allows us into the presence of God because altars aren't altars unless something has died on that altar. Abel killed a lamb on the altar representing later what would be Christ dying for us. He told Abraham because Abraham was going to be the father of a nation. He told Abraham, he said, I want you to take your only son and I want you to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. Now, I don't know how that will phase you. I can only imagine, but I can't imagine God asking me to kill my boy and offer him on an altar as a sacrifice. He's only got one from Sarah and this is it. And I can only imagine Sarah was crying as They left and she and the boy, come here, Finn, stand up here with daddy. And uh, Abraham, Abraham has said, uh, told the men that went with him and he has a torch in his hand. He's got some wood on his back. He's got a knife on his side. And they're walking up the, walking up the mountain, going up the mountain of Moriah. And on the way up there, he said, dad, there's a problem. What is it? Say, dad, there's a problem. You've got the wood, you got the fire, you got a knife. Where's the sacrifice? I can almost see the dad in hesitation. Um, God will provide the sacrifice. Maybe we'll talk about that later. He looks at the men at, that went with him at the bottom of the hill. He said, we will return. Because if there's one thing God understood or Abraham understood is that there's a promise in my boy. There's prophecy over my boy. I know that he's asked me to sacrifice him. I don't understand all the ways of God, but I do know I'm supposed to obey the voice of God.
He must have realized God was going to resurrect him or send a substitute. I don't know. But you know what happened? And I want you to go on that side. Would you go stand over there? Yeah, stand right there on the steps. Come here. And what, what we find happened is stand, stand on the floor. I want you to go up when I go up. Is that he had said, we will return. We will be back. We are going to return. And it appears when he had said, God's going to provide the sacrifice. That when Abraham and Isaac were going up this side of the mountain, there was a ram coming up that side of the mountain. God was going to provide the sacrifice. He just wanted to know, are you willing to offer something that you love? Are you willing to give up something that I've given to you? Is there anything that you would ever withhold from me that I would ask of you? When he got up there and laid his boy on the altar. Let's lay you on the altar here. Lay down. I personally believe that when he told him, God asked me to sacrifice you, I personally believe with all the parallels that he wasn't bucking and screaming. I believe he trusted him. Amen. I believe he trusted him. As we see in the scripture that Jesus said, you don't take my life. I give my life. There was something in this next generation that was willing to give up everything. And he laid there in the wood and I believe that when Abraham grabbed the dagger, I'm not saying he wasn't crying. I'm not saying he wasn't scared, but he was willing to be offered. And he pulls back the knife and when he did, the angel of the Lord stopped Abraham in the motion of taking his son and said, don't touch thy son. Put that knife up because God just wanted to see if you were willing to give him whatever he would ask you to give him. And he went on to say, he said, because you've held nothing from him, he's gonna bless those that bless you. He's gonna curse those that curse you. And he's gonna open up the windows of heaven and amen. He's gonna bless this generation, that generation and all to come. Can I say thank you? Thank you both for helping me. Thank you for helping me. Altars are a place where you hold nothing back. Altars are a place where you give God what he asked of you. Altars are a place where you can cast all your care on him for he careth for you. I come to preach to you. Altars have nothing to do with what you want. It has everything to do with what he wants. It's a place of self-denial. It's a place of consecration. Paul taught us it's a place of mortifying those members. It's where you lay your attitude down. It's where you, where you lay your desires down. It's a place where you lay your ambitions down. It's a place where you put your wants down. It's a place where you can lay your sin down. Am I preaching to anybody right now? It's a place where you can lay everything down that God asks you to lay down. But he promises you this. If you will build an altar before me, I will respond from heaven. I will bring to you what no man can bring to you. Praise the name of the Lord. This place in Mount Moriah later appears in scripture. Study would reveal that when David numbered the people out of questioning his, the ability to win the battle, you know, when he was younger, he, he trusted God was a slingshot against a giant with a big sword. But now that he's arrived, he somehow lost his faith and getting ready to go to battle. And he said, well, wait, let's make sure we got enough. When he did, the Bible says Satan provoked him to number the people. Because of a curse came because of his unbelief. And you know what happened? 
a curse came and there was an angel of wrath coming through. When David saw the angel of wrath, the Lord stopped the angel and sent him a prophet and said, and, 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 the, and the prophet came and he said, Lord, whatever you decide to do, but I, 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 I put myself in your hands, gave him a three point decision. This is just minimal, I want to get to the point. And David, when he saw the angel of wrath to stop the wrath of God, he said to Ornan, Samuel calls him Arana, the man that owned this threshing floor, the property. And he, he said, Ornan or Arana, same guy, he said, I need, to, I need this place. I gotta build an altar before God because there's one thing that will turn away the wrath of God. It's an altar, not just any altar, but an altar that pleases God. It's just not going down and saying three minutes. Well, Lord, I'm sorry if you get me out of trouble. Please, you know, all right, I prayed. I'm not talking about just getting out. I'm talking about the altar of the Lord, the way God expects the altar to be. And he says to Ornan, he said, I need this place to build an altar. Ornan had seen the angel of wrath. He had seen the sword drawn. He had seen the number of people that had died in the wrath of God. He said, listen, I'll give it to you. I understand, I'm seeing the wrath of God. Won't cost you a dollar. You can have the wood, I'll provide the sacrifice, the bull, I'll give you the property, everything, I'll just give to you. And David makes this statement. He said, don't work that way. He said, how can I offer God something that costs me nothing? It's gonna cost me something. Come on, you can't live on everybody else's prayers. You can't live on everybody else's fast chain. Come in and feel the blessings of God. I mean, there's a moment you've got to have your own altar. There's a moment you've got to have your own sacrifice. There's a moment you've got to have your own life of prayer or prayer life. How many know this is true? Uh, you, you can't offer something and I live off of that. If, I'm gonna, if it comes down to me and my future, I have to build an altar. And young people, thank God for praying parents. Thank God for a praying pastor. But there's a moment in your life, mama's prayers and daddy's prayers aren't gonna do what only your prayers can do. You have to have your own altar. Thank God they fasted seven days. Thank God they got up in the morning and prayed for you. Thank God they gave the way they gave and went to church faith, but there's a moment in your future. You've got to dig out your own altar and say, I need a move of God. I've got to have God in my life. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise God. Be seated. And so anyhow, David makes this statement. How can I offer God something that costs me nothing? And he went on. You'll find in Chronicles, he words it this way. He said, I will buy it from you for the full price. There's no special deal. There's no, oh, in the month of October, since it's Thanksgiving week, you don't have to give as much. It's, you can do it in five minutes. It's a five minute discount prayer for October month for all the week saints. Doesn't work that way. The altar that was required for David is the altar that's required for us. If it was good enough for Paul and Silas, the song says it's good enough for me. I don't believe I'm preaching to a generation though that wants to do less than they should. You just wanna do what you should. Can I get a witness from somebody tonight? And so David, David buys it. He pays what the real estate value, market value was for the property. He buys the wood, he buys the, the, the bullock, he buys it all. And he builds an altar before God. And the Bible says that when he built an altar before God, that heaven responded and consumed. I'm convinced 
it, it consumed that offering. I'm convinced it happened at Abel's offering too. There was some spiritual significance that happened when they prayed that something out of heaven came. Can we pause here for a minute and I talk about it? Leviticus 9 and 24. The Bible says that when they built the tabernacle, they built the brazen altar. They laid the bullock there. Everything's in place. Everything's been anointed. Everything's been washed and cleaned. Exactly the law of Moses that God had laid out for him. When they built it, the Bible says in Leviticus 9 and 24. Can you throw that? It says, and there came a fire out from before the Lord. Somebody say out of heaven. And consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. There was a fire that came out of heaven that fell upon the altar. No altar, no fire. No altar, no supernatural power. No altar, no move of God. You want a move of God? You want mercy in your family? Build an altar before him. I'm not talking about a five-minute prayer. I'm talking about an altar the way God wants an altar. An altar is messy. An altar has tears at it. An altar has sacrifice on it. An altar. An altar in the tabernacle. The altar was so bad. They had, they would, there was four corners on this altar. It was called the brazen altar. They would tie the lamb to it. And the four corners, they would tie the lamb to it. And they would kill the lamb on it. And that, 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 that lamb, would, meh, you would have heard the crying of the lamb. It wasn't a comfortable place. It was a place of death. It was a place of dying. Aren't you glad there's some things in your life that can die? Come on, aren't you glad there's some attitudes that can die? Aren't you glad the addictive nature can die? Aren't you glad offense can die? Aren't you glad those hateful feelings and the revengeful things you had in you can die? Come on. Aren't you glad the old man can die? I come to preach to you tonight, the power of the altar is the thing in you that's not right can die before God. And if it dies before God, he will resurrect something better. He will bring greatness into your life. There's a power of an altar. It's the power of an altar. Amen. It's a place where your will, your want, your ambitions, things that don't align with what God wants in your life can die out. To him, somebody say the power of an altar. It was so messy. You can be seated. It was so messy. I used to preach a message called the three fragrances of the tabernacle. You know, sometimes we read scripture too fast. Y'all know that? This is what you sort of have to do. You got to open up your Bible and you got to jump. I'm getting down here because my knee's hurting. Hey, man, I'm going to jump off the second step tonight. Amen. I'm not going to be like Parker who jumped from the top step, praise God. You jump down in the scripture. And when you do, you got to land in sandals and a Jesus robe. And land on the dusty street. And when your feet, and when your feet hit, it goes something like this. Dust. And you got to be like a journalist and hide behind the crowd. But you got to get in the tabernacle and watch what's going on. Don't just see the, some of you read your Bible too fast. You don't take time just to see what's going on. But when you step there, you would hear, you would see people lined out holding a, a rope with a bullock. Somebody standing there with a little bird cage with a turtle dove. You'd see somebody with a lamb. How I many know it's true? Did you imagine standing there with your mom and your little kid and your mom's holding the turtle dove and the guy behind you has got a big bull? You'd be thinking, what in the world did he do? 
Well, what kind of sin he committed to have such a big sacrifice, you know? And all of a sudden, that lamb or that bull starts when they kill it. See, altars are bloody. You hear, you hear that bull crying out as it's dying? You know what all those bulls are going to do in the line? They're going to stop pulling back. I heard a man tell the story. Uh, he was preaching. I, I was talking to him not too long about it. His name's Jerry Wade Dillon. He said he was at the slaughterhouse. He said there was a bull in there. That bull was going crazy. True story. He said when it started hearing all that stuff, it went crazy. That bull climbed up out of the gate that was trapped in, climbed up out of the gate and flipped over and took off running and they never found that bull. Never found it. It jumped fences, it crossed roads, it went through places. You know why? Because it didn't want to die. That's how people are when I'm preaching sometimes. Climbing gates, jumping fences, got to get, get out of the car, taking a smoke break, going to the bathroom. You know why you go out that door instead of the altar? Because you don't want to die. Well, I don't want to talk about that. I like this stuff too much. I don't want to give this up. I don't, you will never be blessed until you die. Your wheels got to die. Your wheels got to die. This is not, he said, any man to come after me, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You've got to die. And you walk through that east gate and the brazen altar is the first thing you come to when you come to the east gate of the tabernacle. When you get there, it is up on a, it's up on a heap. It's up on a heap. It's up on a mound. The only thing elevated in the tabernacle, it's up on a mound. When you get up there, there was blood everywhere. There was the burning of the flesh, the burning of the hair. There, it, is, it is blood everywhere. It is, it is an absolute mess. And the only thing, how many of you ever been driving down the road and you smelled the stench of something dead? Death does not smell good. It is not appeasing to your flesh. It is a repelling smell. Leftover blood in the dirt would have stunk. It is repelling. Can I say, people don't come to our church because they want to live the way we live. People don't come to church. They want to come to church and get out of things that they're in. And that's where most of us came. It's not that that draws people to the church. It's their need for there to be a change in their life. Now listen, listen. Altars are messy. Altars are slaughter. Altars stink. Altars are repelling. But you know what he gave those priests that was allowed them to endure the stench smell of an altar? It's called the anointing. The anointing was poured over their head, down into their coats. And while they're dealing with stench in the altar, it was the fragrance of the anointing that was poured upon them. That was representation of the Spirit of God that allowed them to deal with messy altars. You know why it allows preachers? Let me just put it this way. There's nobody in this room that says, I can't wait to go on a seven-day fast. Just can't wait to lay all that Debbie cakes down. Hershey's coffee, spaghetti with mashed potatoes. Come on, somebody, amen. <laughs> Cheeseburgers and fries, chicken. My lands, it's hard to lay chicken down. Can I get a win from a chicken eater? My daddy said, young or old, hot or cold, tender or tough, you can't get enough of fried chicken, praise God. 
Who, who looks forward to a seven-day fast? Nobody. But you know what makes the altar of fasting worth it? Is when you feel the great presence of God when you're done at the altar. It's, it's the move of God. It's the anointing of his presence. It's the spirit of God that you begin to feel. That's so sweet that you say it wasn't worth it. Why? Because if you build an altar before God, there will be a response from heaven that will make a difference in your life. There's a response from heaven when you build an altar before God. Altars aren't appealing. Change. Giving up things. Walking away from things. That's not appealing. It's a stench to your flesh. But when you take the oil... When you take the hot coals, can I preach a little while? The Bible says, but they would take hot coals from the altar with the tongs. They would put it into a pan. They would take hot coals from the altar and they would put it in the golden censer. Death, burning, the altar on fire. They would take hot coals in. Just like we've seen in our open fireplace, those hot coals that we have that metal thing. We reach in and get a hot log every now and then and move it. You know what I'm talking about. They would take a little piece about that much. They would put it in a golden censer. There was a grade over top of it. And they would take hot coals from an altar. Not a fire that was started by man, but a fire that was started by God. It wasn't with a big lighter or friction sticks that when somebody died out, when they laid a sacrifice to the altar, God couldn't help but respond to somebody that trusted him over their own ways, trusted him over their own plan, trusted him over their own knowledge. When God saw that somebody was willing to submit themselves to him and say, you know more about my tomorrow than I do. You know more about my end than I do. Here I am. I trust you to lead my steps for his word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. He's my direction. God, I give myself to you. I trust you with my end. I trust you with my tomorrow. I trust you with my purpose. I trust you with my way. And they would take the hot coal of an altar, Braden. They would take the hot coal of an altar, put it in the golden censer. And then they would take the anointing oil and they would pour oil into that. Your anointing doesn't mean anything to God. The anointing's not for God. God doesn't lean down and say, Woo, they sure are anointed, Gabriel. They sure are anointed, man. That makes me no, that's not anointed singing, doesn't move God, it moves us. Anointed preaching allows people to respond to messages they would never do if it wasn't anointed because it stinks too much to go to the altar and get their life changed. When people respond to preaching, it's not because they want to die at the altar. It's because they smell something better. The Bible says uh, a good name is rather be chosen than precious ointment. There's something, yeah, you ever been around? uh, I don't know how to say this. I got to think about this. Bad smells repel people from you. My dad would say, smell like the south end of a northbound skunk, I think is how he said it, you know. Skunk snow give a bad smell, gonna repel. Anointing does the opposite. Anointing is attractive. Person get up and sing, you be, oh, that's good singing, but when it's anointed, wow, 
Something moved within me. Anybody anointed will always have an altar. If there's no altar, there's no need for anointing. Because it's the anointing that allows you to tolerate sacrifice. Somebody's singing and there's anointing. Why is the hair standing up on the back of my head? Why is the goosebumps coming? Well, you know, not just because it was a, it was a 15 minute applause because it was, it was good. No, 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 no. I'm talking about something that touches the soul. The words of a preacher, when they're anointed, they're, when they're anointed, they come out, not just words, but the touch of God is in that. And when it hits the ear, it moves the soul. When the singer, the drummer, the keyboardist, whoever has an altar in their life, it allows you to say, I think something good's coming out of this sacrifice. I think something good's coming out of this prayer revival. I think something good's coming out of this time spent alone with God. Nobody in the room says, I can't wait to get up at four o'clock and pray. It stinks to the flesh. Hit that alarm clock over and over and say, God wouldn't want me to sleep. Come on, spirit of justification comes all over you. Holy roller. Roll over and say, God, let the Lord speak to me in dreams. <laughs> let all the praying people have the visions, but let me have the dreams. Oh, no, you get up, you get up. Everything in you. Y'all can be seated, you can be seated. Everything in you. Oh, Lord. Y'all know it's true. You walk to that sink. What are you doing? Cold water. <laughs> now your wife's mad because you spit all over the window. Mirror. <laughs> you walk and pray because if you kneel, you're going to sleep. My family needs you. There's too much addiction in my city. I love to slip in, but God, I need you to move in my family. God, would you touch my babies? Would you touch my nephew? Would you touch my parents? God, I'm asking you somewhere along the way. You've went beyond the stench of sacrifice. And you feel the sweet aroma of his spirit coming to that place. That soaks on you. And once the presence of God is there, you're not thinking about the stench of an altar. You, you feel the sweet aroma of His presence and you think, I couldn't be happier than what I feel. No altar, no anointing. It's the anointing that causes you to tolerate sacrifice in your life. Come on, it's the anointing. I'm talking about the anointing. I'm preaching to some people that have pushed prayer aside because it's become a sacrifice because you're so busy. But I come to tell you, there's no power in a, there's no power in a prayerless church. There's no power in a prayerless parent. There's no power in a prayerless young person. There's no power in a prayerless senior. You've got to have an altar. It doesn't matter if you've been in church 50 years. There's no, there's no tenure, tenure in the church. Well, I've been in this for 30 years. I don't have to pray anymore. I don't have to read my Bible. No, you've got to continually pray without ceasing. You've got to have an altar. You've got to have an altar. You've got to have an altar. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can I preach the way I feel here tonight? It's the anointing that allows you to tolerate the sacrifice of the altar in your world. Anointing doesn't please God. It pleases people. It gives you favor with people. It gives you favor with your own sacrifice. Burning altars. 
The smell, the aroma, the anointing says I can keep on doing what God called me to do. But then they would take the hot coals, Brother Finn, I was telling you a minute ago, and they would put it in a golden censer and then they would take the oil, pour it over the grid into the golden censer and when the oil hits the hot coal from the altar, the Bible says incense comes before the Lord and it's a sweet smelling savor to God. Nowhere will you find a sweet smelling savor to God that has no, that has a, uh, that doesn't have an altar in it, death in it, sacrifice in it. Anybody can praise God. You can walk out of the tavern tonight at 535 Drive to the anchor. Come in here, lift your hands and praise him because the only prerequisite for praise is breath. Anybody can praise him. Sinner can praise him and talk about his goodness and possibly even feel him. But not everybody can worship him. No altar, no worship. Because you don't know who God is if you do not have an altar in your life. Because the altar in your life will, will pull back the scales of your carnal mind and allow you to see things that you've never seen. You'll start seeing God as your provider. You'll start seeing him as your savior. You'll start seeing him as your healer. You'll see him as your way maker. There's power in an altar. Anybody can praise him. But the Bible says in John 4 and 23, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Amen. To worship God, you have to be spiritual. But if you don't have an altar, you can't be spiritual. An altar kills the carnal mind, which the Bible says a carnal mind is enmity with God. It allows you to lay your doubt on the altar. It allows you to lay your will on the altar and say, I know this is how I'm feeling, but I want to feel the way you feel. I know this is how I'm thinking, but I want to think the way you think. God, I'm not going to let this mind of mine keep me from what you're going to do in my family. I'm not going to let the dream die because of the chaos going on around me. I'm not going to let the devil speak to me when you've got promises prophecies over my life. No, I kill that down on the altar and I'm going to let faith come alive. I'm going to let faith come alive. I come to preach to you about altars tonight because when David paid the full price and he built an altar before God and paid the full price of the altar, the Bible says, and the angel stayed. The slaughter, what the angel was doing, stopped where he was. I come to tell you, some of you are one altar away from all the chaos stopping in your family. Some of you are an altar away from the chaos in your home. You're one altar away from this city, a man being transformed, and I believe that's gonna happen with all of my might. There's power in a praying saint. There's power in a praying church. Hey man, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, there's an altar in your life. My, my, my. You may be seated. I'm preaching so long, people are taking bathroom breaks. Can I preach the way I feel? Can I be led of the Lord? Is that Lord that dealt with me a couple days ago about tonight? Altars are essential. They're not important. They're imperative. You can't do without them. You have to have an altar to be saved. You have to have an altar to stay saved. 
It's not good enough to get saved. You got to stay saved. And the only way you can stay saved is to get in the altar. I say to you young people, every chance you get, keep running to the altar. Because if God's going to move in this church, he's not going to start at the platform. He's going to start in the altar. I took Gio to the church the other night and Gio and Danny went with me. And I was preaching Glenn Ferris one week ago. And we went down there. I love when somebody goes with me there because I get to reminisce. I took them to my altar. I showed them the picture of the altar beside the river. There was a big rock about that big. And I'd sit there and that's where I met God at 15 years old and 16 years old and 17 years old and 18 years old at 530 in the morning. I'd go over there and pray and talk to the Lord. But we had never stepped in the sanctuary as boys in that church without first going to the prayer room because daddy taught us you going to have a move of God with the general audience? You better have a prayer room first. It's got to start with an altar. You're talking about a thundering sound. Lashante is pre-service. You think, you think church was loud. Go in that prayer room before church, Glenn Ferris. Us young teenagers, there was a boy's prayer room and a girl's prayer room. We'd been in there thunder praying, getting a hold of God. Thunder praying in the name of Jesus, we're going to have a move. And people would literally walk by. When they would walk by, they would start trembling and weeping because they could feel the presence of God. Let me put it this way. They could feel the heat coming out of that altar. My, my, my. You want to see this building filled up? It's not going to happen with good talent. One word, altars. Altars. You want to see your family saved? Build an altar. Watch what God can do. God can do more with your altar than you can do in a, in, in, in a hundred years of trying to reach people. It was, it was the second Tuesday of June. I, I, I can't remember exactly which year. I, I want to say 1999, but I'm not 100% sure. Now, it's lost me. I used to know. I woke up on Tuesday morning and the Lord spoke to me. I'm telling you about very few times has God ever spoke to me just as soon as I wake up. I mean, voice of the Lord, very clear. This is what he said. He said, I could not pour my fire out on the altar at Mount Carmel until my people poured something on the altar they could not afford to give. He said, in that day, it was water because there were three and a half years of drought. He said, their day it was water. He said, your day, it's time. We're in a drought of time. We don't have time. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time. I don't have time. And he said, unless they pour time on the altar, I will not pour out my fire. I mean, we feel good about a fast if it's a half day with no social media. Oh, I'm sacrificing. No coffee for three hours. Boy, it's quiet in here. That's the holy cow we got to kill. That's the one up here laying on the altar that's screaming right now while I'm preaching and you're back there jerking the reins. Get me out of here. He's about to call a fast and a prayer revival and I got to be at church every night of the week. Don't you know I'm busy? That's the problem. See, the generation, a couple generations ago, they called a prayer meeting. They canceled everything. In this generation, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about this generation. Don't you know it's fish night at the restaurant on Fridays? I'm not skipping fish night. I meet, I meet my buddies there. We don't have time. We got full schedules and no time for altars. No altar, no fire. But when there's fire, please your neighbor say, when there's fire. When the fire fell, 
confused people begin to say that was halted between two opinions. Fell to their knees and said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And they destroyed in a one moment everything that had had them bound for years because there's power when people build an altar. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about praying until something happens. I'm praying, I'm talking about praying to the fire falls. Amen. I'm talking about building an altar before God. That heaven responds and you know it. Brother Garrett Redmond, I was over there praying where Sister Tina Bell is one morning. It was a Saturday morning and I was praying about the fire at Mount Carmel. I'm talking about the, the fire, the altar that Elijah built and said, Lord, would you please move this once? They poured 12 barrels of water, 12 stones, put a bullock on top of the wood, poured 12 barrels of water, and he prayed. He said, God, I pray that you would hear me, that these people would know, and that you would turn their heart and hearts back to you again. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, you can build a, an altar so hot, it will melt the hardest of hearts. Well, their heart's too hard. I can't tell you how many times I heard that. I'm afraid because their heart is too hardened. They're so far away from God. I don't know. Could I tell you there is a fire that comes from heaven that is so hot on an altar that the Bible says when it came to that altar, when heaven responded, it licked up the bullock, it licked up the wood, it licked up the water, and it licked up the stones. When it was over, everything he had laid down had been received. And the stones represented the heart and hearts of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in one altar, the whole nation repented. What would happen if we built an altar so hot that an entire city fell on its knees before God? Taverns were closed. Come on. People started walking away from addictions. People started waking and walking away from abuse. Amen. The need of counselors wasn't the way it is because they've been healed. They've been set free. Somebody shout, there's power in a praying church. There's conviction here. I want you to lift your hands all over the building and say, I want to be a praying church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'll start talking to God. What is it you want me to change? What is it you want me to do? In the name of the Lord. Be seated. You okay? The place where Ordan. I know I've jumped a few stories here. I didn't got to the one I did the text on. Read the text about where Abraham was willing to offer Isaac is where David paid the full price at the threshing floor of Ornan. That place became where Solomon built the temple. That became a world wonder that people would drive a thousand miles to see it without a plane, a train, or an automobile because God's blessing sat there. That place became known as Calvary. Is it any wonder, declaring the end from the beginning, he just wanted to see Abraham, are you willing to offer your son? Are you willing to give up some things? Some of you are that close to the greatest life you've ever lived. You can put a leg on the altar. You can put an arm on the altar. Get another arm. 
But you won't give up listening to some things. Oh, you can put your ear on the altar, but you can't get your eye on the altar because you don't want to stop looking at some things. You, you got your eye on there. You got your ear. You got your foot. But you can't quit talking. You got some words you don't want to stop saying. Fire can't fall until you're dead. When I was growing up in church, they used to sing a song. 99 and a half won't do. Lord, I'm striving, trying to make 100. I'm not talking about almost dead. Probably one of the most dangerous words. A-L-M-O-S-T. Six-letter word that King Agrippa says, Saul, Paul, almost! Thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I'm preaching in here tonight as if there's no tomorrow. I'm preaching to you as if eternity depends on it. You don't want to stand before God and say, almost repented. I almost sold out. I almost got baptized. I was almost filled with the Holy. I come to preach to you half-hearted, almost would never let the fire fall. I lived it. I know what it's like to sit in church and almost give it all. Almost surrender my life to God. Sit there, amazing preaching, powerful services, and almost commit, almost commit. But there were some friends I didn't want to walk away from. There were some thoughts I didn't want to walk away from. There were some plans I didn't want to walk away from. You know what? I never experienced the fullness of God until I went to that altar. And I said, I'm not getting up until everything in me that's not like God dies. I'm not getting up until I'm different. I'm not giving up until I become what he wants me to come. I'm going to tell you what happened to me when I died out at an altar. I was almost 16 years old. I buried my face in an old tabernacle, gravel, gravel in an old tabernacle. I buried my face, Dawson, and I said, God, I'll give up whatever I've got to give up. If I've got to do it all by myself, I'll do it all by myself. But God, I'm going to do it your way. Can I tell you, from that day forward, living for God was fulfilling. From that day forward, living for God was complete. From that day forward, there was a confidence that came into me. You know what happened? He changed my heart to the heart that he wanted me to be. And now can I say I'm complete in him. You're an ultra away from victory. You're an ultra away from a breakthrough. You're an ultra away. You're an ultra away. Clap your hands and praise him all over this building. I'm not waiting on an almost. I'm going to give it all. I'm going to surrender all to him. You know what happens when you get fiery people with fiery people? It becomes explosive. When you get praying people, believing people that start praying, something starts happening. You get them together. The Bible says when they begin to pray, the place shook where they were. It has, it has, it has such influence over earthly things. The power. I can tell you this, don't ever mock somebody praising God because in Acts 16, when they were imprisoned in Acts 16, I'll talk about Acts 12 in a second, I promise. But Acts 16, when they were locked up, Paul and Silas, the Bible says at midnight, when they began to sing, when they began to praise him, the Bible says it was shaken where they were. I'm telling you, you can have victory just in praising God here tonight when you have an altar. 
I'm going to tell you what I feel. There are going to be some things that happen very shortly in this church that while you're praising God, shackles are going to fall off of your family members. Shackles are going to fall off of people in your world. God is going to bring such a great deliverance. Come on, jump to your feet and clap your hands and shout, deliverance is on the way. Deliverance is on the way. Years of bondage and deliverance. You can praise it away. You can get healed tonight, Brother Chuck, just by praising him in this building because there's healing and praise in him. The Bible said that the shackles fell off everybody. Every door was open. There's a revival that's coming that every door is going to be opened. I said every door is going to be opened. Write it down in your Bibles and mark the date tonight. But I'm coming to preach to you that there's a church that when it starts praising, when it has an altar, that every door starts opening that needs to open. And God starts building churches in places where there's never been able to be a church built. Because when the church built an altar, when the church built an altar, we're going to see access. Listen. We're going to see access to communist countries where there's never been a breakthrough. I believe that the curtains are going to fall and there's going to be a flood of believers that's going to come into those countries because there's power in a praying church. Power. He's talking about liberty. I'll, I'll, I'll close. They're just praising God. Shackled. Shackles fell off. That was Paul and Silas. All the doors open. They take the jailer that was leading the charge and baptizing his whole family. God saved him. Because when people start praying and build an altar, heaven starts doing what no man can do. So in Acts 12, just remain standing. How many believe there's power? I'm not talking about just going to church. You can go to church and be lost. You can go to church and backslide. You can go to church. I'm not talking about going. I'm talking about having an altar. I went to church and not live right. I went to church and wasn't right. Went to church and faded away. I'm not talking about. I'm talking about an altar in your life. Everybody in this building, God's going to give you an altar opportunity. In the next few weeks, to get alone with God, and He's going to hear your prayer. James has been killed. And Herod said, I'm going to kill Peter too. Jews are happy about this. I'm going to kill Peter. The Bible says they locked him up. They shackled him, hands and feet. Four quaternions. I don't even know what that means. Except it sounds like four soldiers keeping him. Gatekeepers, making sure he doesn't get out. Everybody say the preacher's been bound. I just had a thought today. 17 young people in Haiti. Two represented in the Mennonite choir that sang for us. What if we called a prayer meeting and God removed any authority of any gang trying to get $17 million ransom for them and let them all come out free. There's power in a praying church.
Come on. I say we get a part of praying them out. Do you believe that? <laughs> this country was founded on prayer. It was founded on being able to seek God from a biblical perspective instead of the way the government said you ought to seek God. That's what this was founded on. The Bible says that he was shackled. They were going to kill him the next day. He was kept in the prison. But the church started praying. They prayed without. Everybody say ceasing. Watch what happens. They prayed, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And it says, and behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him. And a light shined in the prison and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up. Get up. I believe we can have a prayer meeting that resurrects some preachers that have been bound. Well, might as well operate in the Holy Ghost here tonight. There's some preachers in the room tonight that you let your calling get bound because of fear. Quit running from your calling and run to it. Wake up. We need you. We need you, preacher. We need you. We need you. I said we need you. Arise quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. No keys. The angel didn't go, where's the keys at? Didn't reach over the Laternian, grab the key off his ring. He didn't need a key. He just moved and chains broke. I believe there's going to be deliverance without 12 steps of recovery, Brother Gene. I believe in counseling. I'm for it. We've done it here. But I'm going to tell you, the revival I'm talking about, they're just going to say, I don't want alcohol anymore. I don't want pills anymore. It just falls off. Come on, it's like some of the old timers saying, I went to church one night. My heart wasn't right, but something got a hold of me. I feel a revival. I feel a revival of heroin addicts being delivered. They come in one way, but they leave a different way because there's a deliverer in the building. I'm not thinking suicide anymore. I'm not depressed anymore. I don't need those pills anymore. I don't have problems sleeping anymore. Why? Because the angel of the Lord came through a praying church and set me free. That's what's going to happen. I said, that's what's going to happen. Somebody say amen. Come on, clap your hands and shout hallelujah. My uncle was an alcoholic. He went home to take his life because his brother was killed. My other uncle was killed in a car wreck at 18 years old. He went home to take his life. He was an alcoholic and was going to go take his life. He gets home. He's going to greet my grandparents, Ralph and Bertha Johnson. He's going to go do what he planned, how he had it planned. And Mary, the girl he'd always like called him, said, I heard you're in town. Why don't you go to revival with me? He said, I went first night of revival. I didn't feel anything. He said, I thought God didn't even love me. 
Says she called the next day. He said, I'd have done anything for Mary. He says she called the next day and she said, Gary, come back to revival tonight. You want to go with me? He said, yeah, I'll go with you. When he went to that night, the power of God came upon him. Instantly delivered. Instantly delivered. He's in the military. Went back with his Bible. Went back with his Bible and walked in and and the guy said, I told you, his, his superior officer said, I told you when you get back, you got to go to the detox. You got to go through that. He said, don't need it. He said, why not? He said, converted. He said, I didn't know what to say. I just said converted. It's the only word I knew to say. He's now a retired apostolic preacher because God knows how to set you free. Hallelujah. <laughs> Y'all feel what I feel? Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Singing glory, hallelujah. Jesus set me free, and I'm so glad. That Jesus set me free. Come on, sing it. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Oh, sing in glory. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me. Any witnesses of that? Satan. Oh, Satan. But Jesus set me free, singing glory. Ooh, I feel like praising him tonight. And the angel said unto him, gird thyself, bind on thy sandals, get ready. Look at your neighbor and say, get ready. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. Angel. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel but thought he saw a vision. It happened so supernaturally he thought it was a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, quit labeling what kind of deliverance God can give. Quit level. Well, he can do this, but I'm not sure about this. He can do anything. He's capable of it. He's able to do anything. Come on, I wish I had a believer up here preaching with me right now. Say, we're believing for deliverance. Come on, I wish somebody would run up to this altar. Say, there's about to be a breakthrough. There's about to be a deliverance. There's about to be a healing. There's about to be a miracle. Hallelujah. Somebody shout glory. Woo. And he went past the first and the second ward. They came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. An iron gate. Insurmountable. Couldn't get past it. But better than Walmart. Walked right past it. Because when God responds to the altar, he doesn't need a key. 
He is the key. He's the key to your family. He's the key to your breakthrough. He's the key to your miracle. He's the key to your marriage. He's the key to your parenting. He's the key to this city. Somebody shout, he's the key. And it says, which opened his own accord with, of his own accord, the gate. And they went out and passed on through one street. And forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, that's the type of revival we're gonna have. There are gonna be such supernatural things, people are gonna just come to themselves. You know where I hear that term? Prodigal son. He came to himself. Sister Annie, it's going to be like this. When the Bible says that she told the judge, the, the widow woman told the judge, avenge me my adversary, and he said, get away. He was an unjust judge. He wasn't even a good man, but because her continually coming. Next day. Get away, woman. I don't have time for you. Get away, woman. I told you to leave me alone. Would you avenge me now? The Bible says fire continually coming. He wasn't a good man. He petitioned. He granted her petition because her continually coming. Listen to the word of the Lord tonight. Years, it seems like it's just prayer after prayer. But the Bible says, how much more shall your heavenly father avenge them speedily? All of a sudden, years of praying. You go turn around and there's the answer right there. There's that backslidden son right there. There's that backslidden daughter right there. That's that person all out of nowhere. Just they're here. It's just gonna cause there's power. Listen, family members, you pray for people. You can't pray the way you pray and God not do anything. Because there's power in a praying church. I wish you'd touch somebody next to you and say, There's power in a praying church. There's power in a praying church. Sister Carolyn, the Lord already's got the answer on the way. The angels come with the angel. I'm telling you, lift your hands, Sister Carolyn. Lift your hands. The Lord has already sent the angel going to take care of what you've been praying for. Because there's power in a praying church. We're not going to fret. We're going to pray. We're not going to stress. We're going to pray. We're just going to call on his name or we're going to pray without ceasing and God's going to do what nobody else can do. I'm telling you, the miracles are in the building tonight. And when Peter was come to himself, they're just going to come to, what am I doing? I think I'm going back to church. I'm, I'm headed back to the house. I don't, I don't want to live. Brother Tony, where are you at? Where's Brother Tony? Wave your hand, Brother Tony. Come up here with me. Don't leave me up here by myself. I'm preaching too long. Amen. Twenty-two years. Pray through in five minutes. Thirty seconds. That's pretty speedily. <laughs> speedily. Twenty-two years. But somebody didn't stop praying. Twenty-two years. And all of a sudden, altars, fire. He raises up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm going to the altar today. My goodness, I wish that'd be happening all over this city and all the way down to Junction City. 
power of a praying church. Amen. Look what the Lord has done. Hey, stay with me. Watch what it says. He said he came to himself. Everybody say, he came to himself. Lord, let there be a revival of people coming to themselves. Let there be a revival of people coming to themselves all over this city. He said, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod. I preached it for three weeks. Brother Joe, Sister Cassidy, I believe God has given us authority over Herod, over Haman, over things that have come against us. We've got authority. We just need to speak in prayer. And it says that from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. He knocked on the door and they said, that's not him. You gotta start expecting good things if you're praying for them. Don't let him in. It's a trick. It's not Simon Peter. I, I tell him we need to be praying, but we need to have better expectation than that church did. We need to pray and believe every time the door's open, they're coming. The angel's coming. There's gonna be a miracle. There's gonna be a harvest in this city. Look at that door right there. Everybody turn around to that door and say, they're coming. The building can't contain everybody. God's gonna sit here that's gonna set free. Come on, clap your hands and praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lift your hands. Come on, be a praying church. Hallelujah. you to press through tonight I make a covenant tonight I'm committing myself hallelujah 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 in the name of Jesus hallelujah hallelujah in the name of Jesus Come on, all over this building, I want us to pray right now. God, we are believing. We are praying for a miracle. We're praying from an altar of covenant. Hallelujah. I don't want to be half-hearted. I want to be totally committed to what you're doing. 
the trusted place. Oh, God, it is here in this. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.